notes, please, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke and chapter number 22. Luke and chapter number 22. We'll be reading this morning, beginning with verse number 54. And I'll ask you to join with me responsibly. On the odd-numbered verses, I'll begin with verse 54, and you join me in verse 55. I'll read 56 and so forth, and then we'll finish together on verse number 65. So beginning at 54, and we'll finish together on verse 65. Luke 22, stand with me please for the reading of the Word of God as I begin at verse number 54. Then took they him and led him, and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, and earnestly looked upon him, and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. Our text is verse 62, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. I read to you two other verses without your turning to it. I read to you Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. And then I read also for you, Psalm 51 and 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, the greatest day of Peter's life. Heavenly Father, I really want to help your people this morning. And I can't do it by myself. Please, Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me, Lord, thy power and help. While you give power and help to those who hear, I'm just a mouthpiece. All of us are just your children, sinners saved by grace. And if the work is not done by thee, it won't get done. You chose the foolishness of preaching. This is your plan, the spoken, preached word of God. So empower it and help us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Of the twelve disciples, we know that one of them would prove in the end to be an unbeliever and a traitor. 
I think God gave us a great lesson in that. You can be right in the thick of things with God's people in a trusted position and be an unbeliever. But um, among those 12 disciples, we would name as the most prominent of them, prominent of them, certainly the most outspoken of them, we would name Peter as that disciple. The 12 disciples are listed on several occasions in the scriptures, but as you read the Gospels and the life of Christ, you'll find on several occasions that three of them are mentioned together at, uh, uh, for example, the Mount of Transfiguration or in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John. And we would think of them as the most prominent of the 12 disciples. But you'll notice also that when those three names are listed, it is Peter's name that is always listed first. I believe everything in the Bible is important to us. I think when lists are given in the Bible, it's important that we pay attention to the order of those lists. And God is teaching us in the words and how he lays the words out. And so we would definitely think of Peter as the most prominent and the most outspoken of the disciples. There's some great, great days in Peter's life as we think about uh, what I will propose to you as the greatest day in Peter's life. But there are many great days in Peter's life. Take a little journey with me. We'll use our Bibles a little more than normal, and I hope you'll uh, get your Bible out and, and open it up and turn to Luke chapter 5. If you, if you don't happen to have a Bible, perhaps somebody on the row before you or beside you somewhere could share their Bible with you. I hope members you'll be uh, certainly conscious of that. And uh, uh, not to uh, embarrass anyone, but just to let everybody see uh, the Word of God. I think it's so important you bring your Bible. And, we, of course, we preach uh, from the King James Bible and believe that it's divinely inspired and preserved. And so uh, when you come, I recommend you do that. Bring a, an old King James Bible with you and follow along with us. And Luke in chapter number 5, one of the great, great days of Peter's life, beginning in verse 1, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets, plural. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him, asked him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. The water uh, provides a natural, uh, a natural uh, uh, projection of one's voice. Ben Franklin wrote and documented that he could hear clearly George Whitfield's voice three miles away. The reason for that, first of all, George Whitfield had an amazing, booming voice. But his water was, his, his words, his voice was being carried by the river. And Ben Franklin could hear clearly, if you can imagine that, his voice from that distance. But nonetheless, Jesus, uh, in a natural, uh, a natural amplification of his voice, he pushes, uh, asks for the boat to be pushed out into the water so that the great crowd can better hear. And so there he is in verse 4. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto uh, um, uh, uh, Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets, that's plural, for a draught, for a great catch. And Simon, uh, who we will learn is Peter, answering said unto him, Master, that's a term of respect, a great teacher. He recognized Jesus Christ as a great teacher. Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. 
Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Singular. Now, let me uh, read a little between the lines, and I think do no injustice to Scripture as I do. In verse number 5, Peter basically says, uh, Great teacher, we have been working all night long, and we haven't caught a thing. Nevertheless, (laughs) at thy word... I'll let down a single net. Now, here's what he was saying. You're the teacher. I'm the fisherman. Okay? But, because I respect you, I'll let down one net. In other words, he's obeying, but he's doing it under protest. (laughs) Verse 6. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. Can I tell you something? Every word and every letter in your Bible is important. Now, they're in a fix now. They can't hold the great draw of fishes. Why? Because they didn't obey. They half obeyed. They said, one net. It's too much trouble. We've been cleaning our nets and we're going to get them all dirty again. That's too much work. But I got one here we ain't cleaned yet. I don't know that. I'm reading between the lines again. One we haven't cleaned yet, so I tell you, we'll throw that one in. And the net broke. Verse 6, And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. Hey, come here, guys. And they came and filled both ships, so that they began to sink. What a catch. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished. I, put, I preached a message about the difference between the word amazed and astonished. Oh, two, three years ago. The word astonished is used across the page in chapter 4, verse number 32. It's a different word than is used here in verse 9 of our text. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draw to the fishes which they had taken. The word across the column there, astonished, means to strike one out of self-possession. It's sort of like we said, wow, I can't believe it. Wow, that's what that word is. But the word astonished here that's used in verse chapter 5, verse number 9, is actually two compound words. And, uh, and it means to take possession. Something seized Peter. Peter grasped something. And we know this from his response. It wasn't just like, wow, that was a great catch of fish. No, it was more than that. Peter does what? He falls down on his knees before Jesus. And he said, basically he's saying, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Please depart from me. I'm a sinful man, oh Lord, for he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee. These men were in business together, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. That's his call to ministry. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let me tell you one of the great, great days of Peter's life 
And that was the day of His call and of His surrender. Can I tell you when you ought to surrender? The moment you're called, that's when you ought to surrender. And Peter, here he is, uh, he he realizes uh, that this is not just another man. This is not just a good teacher. And I I, I patronized him a moment ago and said, you're a great teacher, but I'm the fisherman, all right? But I have respect for you, so I'll I'll, I'll get this net over here, throw it in. And he watched the miracle take place. And by the time he he pulled those fishes in, he said, there's something else about this man. I could follow this man the rest of my life. And Jesus said, hey, why don't you quit the fishing business and why don't you follow me and you'll catch men. And the Bible said that Peter forsook all and followed him. What a great day in Peter's life. And may I say dear, this, dear friend, a great day in your life is the day that you realize what Jesus said. You can't serve one God, mammon, and me. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve temporary things of this world and serve God with all your heart. I know you have to eat. I know you got to have a roof over your head. I know you got to have clothes. I understand all that. But seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. A great day in your life is a day when you say, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Many of God's people are born again. They're saved. But they're wayward children. Still holding on to the things of this world, having not forsaken all to follow Jesus Christ. There's a vast difference between being a believer and being a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Go to Matthew 14. I'm sure if we thought about great days in Peter's life, and I ask you to make a list, most everybody would put this day on the list. Matthew 14, I was in Mark 14. That was a good little verse I was reading just then, but that's not what I'm looking for. (laughs) Matthew 14. Here we go. The Bible says in verse number 22, And straightway Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship and go before Him and to the other side while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, He was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. As it was so uh, uh, well preached to us on last Sunday, by the great man of God, Dr. Williams. We've learned uh, 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 that uh, Peter didn't walk on water. He walked on the Word, is the way God's man said it. Jesus said, come, and he said, on that I will stand. And he took out on God's Word. He went out on the water. It wouldn't go out otherwise, that's for sure. But Jesus said, come, and Peter came, and he walked on the water. 
Yes, the doubts came. Verse 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to simply cry and saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Isn't that a great picture of the Christian life? Man, you're going to be on the mountaintop of faith on one moment and down the next depths of despair the next moment. And uh, anyway, but may I say this? I still... uh, It's easy to point out the faults of these Bible characters. Aren't you glad God didn't write your life and my life in the Bible? Woo! But anyway, but we, we, we have the luxury of knowing the good and then the bad about their lives. And, uh, uh, and, 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 but, but may I say this, uh, it, you know, it's, it wouldn't be hard to say, oh, Peter, well, oh, Peter doubted. Yeah, he's the only one ever doubted when he was standing on water. Why he doubted? And so he still has the world's record for walking on water. Amen. And so but I would call this for Peter a great day of faith. Oh, it was momentary. It didn't last that long, but it was still a great day. I don't know anybody else that walked on water other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a great day for Peter, a day that he took God at his word and trusted God in the middle of a storm and got out of a boat and put his feet on boisterous waves and walked to Jesus. Oh, Peter, what an act of faith. I think a great day. Go to chapter 16 of Matthew. I think the day of his surrender was a great day. I think the day of faith and walking on water was a great day. In Matthew chapter number 16, we read in verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Never a man had walked on earth like this man and people were trying to figure out who is this man? Who is he? And Jesus basically says, says that. So what are people saying about me? Verse 14. And they said, Well, some say thou art John the Baptist. And some Elias. Elijah. That's the variant spelling for Elijah. And others, Jeremiah. Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them. Now, think of this. He's asking his disciples, plural, verse 13. He saith unto them, plural, but whom say ye that I am? Who speaks up? Peter. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is a great day. This is a day of declaration. Amen. This is a day of declaration. Peter, if you will, uh, 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 he says this. I, I know some people say you're John the Baptist and some people say you're Elijah and some people say you're Jeremiah or maybe one of the other prophets like Isaiah or somebody else. He said, I tell you, I know thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, thank God for those who come to a place in their day and in their life where they publicly declare who Christ is and who Christ is in their life and His relationship to the Godhead and and are not ashamed. And may I say this, my dear friend, listen to me. Uh, Yes, I believe that you can, I believe you can be a Christian, you can be saved, a believer, and not be public about it. I think Nicodemus was a believer. And it took him a while. Many, many believers around the world who live in countries where their life would be extinguished or at the very least persecuted greatly if they make a public stance have come to faith in Christ. But it's a while before they make it public. Now you and I, uh, I think, ought to have mercy on folk like that because we're going to really get persecuted. Oh, somebody might stick their tongue at us. Or some one of our family members say, oh, you're, you're, you're a nutcase, you're going to a cult. And we might give somebody give us a hard time verbally, but very few of us are actually 
persecuted in some way because of our faith in Christ. But let me tell you something, my dear friend. The good, a good day in your life, a good day in Peter's life, is when you get to the place where you say, you know, I don't care who knows. I don't care who knows. I don't care work who knows. I don't care my family knows. I believe Jesus Christ is a living Son of God. And He's my Savior. And I love Him. And I'm not ashamed of that. Amen. This wedding band that I wear does not affect my position as a married man. It simply signifies to others that I belong to my wife. She belongs to me. If I were to take my wedding band off, Positionally, I'm still married. She's still my wife. I'm still her husband. But I wear it. Why? To publicly identify myself as belonging to her and she to me. Amen? You say, well, I'm a believer. Let me ask you a question. Does a person you've been folding boxes across from for the last 10 years, do they know you're a born-again Christian? The folks that you eat lunch with day after day in the lunchroom there on that on that thirty minute break or whatever you get and or, or a forty five minute break and, and you run out and get your little bite to eat and come back to the office. Did those that you sat at the table with did you bow your head and 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 thank the Lord Jesus Christ, thank God for your food? Do they know? Do they know? Have there been a good day in your life where you said, "I don't care who knows. I want to publicly declare I am a Christian. I belong to Jesus Christ. He is the Son of." the living God and He's my Savior. Amen. Now I don't care who knows. That's a great day in your life. Hallelujah. Peter was the first to speak up. I think a great day. In the next chapter, chapter 17, we have a most remarkable experience that Peter, James, and John had with the Lord. Another great day. And after six days, chapter 17 of Matthew, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun and his raiment white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a brief cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Without turning to it, again, the Gospels are each an account of the life of Jesus Christ from four different perspectives. If you, if you four of us stood on the street corner and uh, one of us on the, um, uh, on the northeast corner of Beasley and Fayetteville and uh, someone else uh, on the northwest corner and one on the southeast corner and one on the southwest corner and we all stood on different corners and watched the same accident... And the, and the attending officer came and said, Sir, were you an eyewitness? Yes. And would you give your report? We would all tell of the same accident, but we would tell some detail perhaps a little different than others. Why? Because our perspective is a little different. By the way, that shows the authenticity of the Scripture. People say, well, this disciple said this, and that disciple said that, as if to suggest that somehow they didn't say the identical thing, that somehow it's false. Let me tell you something. If you show up in court of four different people on four different days and give a, a, a record of what you witnessed, and you all say the identical thing, 
Not just the same thing, the identical thing. That doesn't prove veracity. That proves collusion. That proves you talk. That proves you talked ahead of time. This is what we're all going to say. Let's all make sure we say the exact same thing. No, the New Testament validates the authenticity of the Scripture. Some offered little details that others do not offer. When you put those together, you'll find out this: the Bible said that what those men spoke about with Elijah and Moses and the Lord Jesus, they spake of His coming death. Jesus had more than one time already tried to tell his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to raise up, and they did not understand his mission. They, they saw Jesus primarily as a political, uh, 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 a, a, a political savior, if you will. They were under the bondage of Roman oppression, and they wanted their independence as a nation back, as the Jewish people wanted independent again. And, 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 and so they saw that Jesus can help us, and we're going to throw the shackles of this Roman oppression and that was they wanted to follow him they said man we're gonna the, the two of the disciples the brothers are mentioned here their mama said Jesus when you have your kingdom you think my boys can sit on one side and one to the other and uh, and uh, and Jesus on more than one occasion said said look I, I have a, a greater mission I, I've come I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And, and one time Peter even said Lord don't talk that way you're not going to die. Why do you keep saying that? That's morbid. Quit talking that way. We've left everything to follow you. Why are you talking about dying? And Jesus had to rebuke Peter on one occasion. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, wait a minute. Jesus had tried repeatedly to tell his disciples what his mission was and help them understand. Look, if you knew... If you knew you were dying in a matter of months or a year or something like that, it would be meaningful for you to have someone that could empathize with you. Jesus had nobody to talk to about it. The men closest to him, the most prominent of all his disciples, the men closest to him, they said, what? Jesus is trying to bear his heart to them. So what does he do? God the Father says, why don't you come up on the mountain? And he said, Elijah, Moses, go down there and talk to him a little while. And the Bible said they spake of his death. He said, they said, won't be long. He said, yeah, won't be, will it? And there in their glorified, in Jesus' glorified form, Moses and Elijah and the glories robed in the glories of heaven are there and the disciples are asleep. Peter, James, and he put them together. They fell asleep. They just about missed the show. <laughs> they wake up. <laughs> and Peter opens his mouth, which got him in trouble a lot of times. Hey, let's build three houses up here. You guys can live. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. I'm going to call this day the day of revelation. That day of revelation. The day God showed Peter something that, that just a handful of others ever saw. Only two of the disciples, the brothers James and John, and Peter saw something and he said, oh my, this is so magnificent. This is so wonderful. This is so amazing. And Jesus, afterward, he said, now don't tell anybody, not till after I'm gone. Don't tell anybody about this day. You wait until I'm gone before you tell anybody of this day. Can I say this, dear friend? There's been some wonderful experiences. I've been saved since 1979. 
There's been some wonderful, wonderful experiences over these last 43 years and, and, and some services where, man, we just went up to the heavenlies. I mean, I'm talking about that. I mean, the tears were flowing and the shouts were coming and, the, and my soul was enraptured. There's been some times in God's presence in just personal time, just walking with the Lord and talking with the Lord in seasons of prayer where God made himself so real. I don't mean he spoke to me out loud. I don't mean I could see him and had a vision of some kind. I just mean I, I could feel his presence and He revealed Himself to me. And oftentimes in His Word, He shows me things in His Word. I get so excited. And, 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 and the tears come to my eyes and I think about that, what He's shown me. Those are such wonderful days. I hope that you are experiencing that, Christian. I hope God is revealing Himself to you through His Word. I hope you're faithful to the house of God and He reveals Himself to you through the preaching of God's Word. Many times, many, many times, I think I'm preaching a message to meet a certain need and somebody walk out of the room and say, Pastor, I can't. I cannot believe it. you had a microphone in my house this week. How did you know I needed that today? I'm thinking, you're the last person I thought would need that in my mind. But God knows what we need. Amen. God reveals himself through his preaching, preaching of his word, through the reading and studying of his word. He reveals himself to us in our personal time of worship and communion with the Lord. And those are wonderful days. Not the greatest day. The day of surrender, the day of faith, the day of revelation. The day of declaration, without turning to it in Luke 22, we'll call this the day of defense. They've had the Lord's Supper together, the last supper, the Passover. They've taken the bread and the juice, the fruit of the vine, and they have partaken. And Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Peter, James, and John are invited to go there and Jesus is praying and soon Judas Iscariot comes. That betrayer. And he brings with him the authorities, the religious authorities, and they have their own soldiers, their guards. And he plants the kiss of betrayal upon the cheek of our Savior. And suddenly the disciples that are there begin to realize this is not an amiable parting. They're not coming as friends. They're coming to arrest him. One of them said, should we fight? Should we draw our swords? The Bible doesn't record who asked the question, but it does record that Peter, Luke twenty-two forty-eight through 51, Peter, along with John's gospel, was put together, pulled out his sword and took a whack at Malchus, cut his ear off. He's defending his Savior. The day of his defense, we'll call it. The day he said, I'll stand up for my Savior. You, you, you come to take my Savior. I'll stand up. I'll defend him. I don't you say something. That, that gesture was a great gesture. It was misplaced and misapplied. It was a great gesture. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. We need some of that spirit today. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about physically fighting. I hope you understand that. But I'm talking about those who will take their stand and stand up for Jesus Christ. Somebody takes his name in vain. Somebody uses his name as a curse word. You might say, that's a lovely name, isn't it? I love the name of Jesus. I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't use his name that way. Because well, they might think I'm a holy roller. Well, well you need to roll down that holy road. 
I'd love to be thought of as holy. I'm commanded, be ye holy. Amen? Amen. Peter cut off Malchus' ear because he didn't understand what was happening. Jesus said, Peter, put your sword away. He said, I don't need that. And he picked up Malchus's ear. Stuck his ear back on. Now, I, it's something that I think about these things. I think, how in the world those guys could go through with that arrest? They watch that miracle. I'd be scared to death. The day of defense. There's some great days that would come later. In Acts chapter number 2, 120 believers in the church gathered together for a prayer meeting. They prayed day after day after day. They were all together, 100% attendance, in one accord. There was no division. There was no, no seeds of dissension among them. They were praying in obedience to what Jesus had told them before He went back to heaven. Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He had taught them how to do that in Luke 11. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more should your father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And so they're in obedience to Jesus. They're having a prayer meeting. They're praying for that anointing of the Holy Spirit just as they were commanded to do. And in Acts chapter number 2, the Holy Ghost of God came down and they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. And they began to preach the gospel and witness and when they spoke, there were 17 nationalities that are mentioned in Acts chapter number 2. And this is, by the way, this is the real gift of tongues. There's 17 nationalities mentioned in Acts chapter 2 by name. And every one of those nationalities could hear as those men preached the gospel. They could hear in their own native tongue and language. Listen, it wasn't just somebody speaking in a language uh, 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 that they hadn't naturally acquired. Uh, And it certainly wasn't someone speaking in, in some unknown heavenly language. It was a man speaking and multiple nationalities heard in their own tongue. Go back and read Acts chapter number 2. That was a great day. That was a day of power. That was a day of outpouring of God's Spirit. A day of anointing, if you will. Oh, my dear friend, what a great day it is in your Christian life when you realize that you cannot live the Christian life in your own strength and power. You cannot do it in the flesh. And just like Jesus told those disciples, tear ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power. Oh, would to God, we may become hungry and thirst for God's Spirit and God's power upon our lives. Oh, like I have given the illustration many, many times, before, if I have a glove and my hand uh, represents me and the, uh, excuse me, my hand represents the Holy Spirit and the glove represents uh, me, uh, the Holy Spirit to the, what the hand is to the glove, the Holy Spirit is to the believer. And when we are filled uh, with the Holy Spirit, much like a glove is filled uh, with a hand, uh, once that glove is filled with the hand, that glove can do anything the hand can do. And when a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and is empowered by the Holy Spirit, that with Him nothing is impossible. Without Him, uh, we can do nothing with Him. All things are possible. And oh, would to God we would get hungry for that anointing of the God's Spirit upon our own lives. Yes, I know that the believer is indwelt by the Spirit the moment he gets saved. But I believe with all my heart there is an anointing, there is a fire from heaven, there is a fullness of the Holy Spirit that every believer needs in their lives. What a great day. For Peter, a day of anointing. There are many days of miracles for Peter. 
Can I just show you the one in Acts chapter 3? In Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter number 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Sir, could you help me, please? I'm crippled. A little money so I can eat, please. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Oh, that began that day of miracles. It came many, many days. If you follow uh, uh, in, the, in the chapter that follows in Acts chapter 4, not everybody was excited about this miracle. He was, he was uh, 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 taken into custody because of the, of the great uh, commotion that came of it. In chapter 4, verse 3, they laid hands on him, put him in the hold into the next day. They questioned him. Many of them which heard the word believe, verse 4 says, and the number of them was about 5,000. The great miracle that day was just the lame man leaping and walking and running. The, 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 the great miracle that day, well, that, that miracle spread around and more people came to listen and the word of God was spoken and Peter again preached and preached and preached and preached and preached and preached and preached and, preached and, preached and 5,000 got saved that day. Just a chapter or two before, there 3,000 saved in Acts chapter number two and here in Acts chapter four, there's 5,000 saved. That's a mighty anointing of God's power. It's a great miracle. A man was made to walk but the greater miracle. All those thousands of souls saved. More miracles would take place in Acts chapter 9. A lady named Tabitha will be raised from the dead. In Acts chapter number 12, Peter will be in prison again and an angel will come and wake him up and say, man, get your shoes on. Come on, let's go. And he'll take him out of that old jail and the, and, and the, the doors are just open up and Peter thinks he's asleep. He thinks, man, I must be dreaming. And he gets out in the middle of the street before he finally wakes up and says, this is really happening. And he saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And those are great days. Oh, I, I rejoice. Just one just, uh, the little girls in the church uh, came that little swollen uh, uh, lymph nodes here and she asked me she said pastor you pray for me I said yeah, absolutely and um, we came and anointed her and, and uh, she wasn't sure about that she thought I was going to dump all the oil on her head and you know but put some on her brow we read James 5 and uh, and, uh, and it went away went away God's able amen God's able we've seen folks that literally eyesight gone restored brain tumors gone uh, 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 tumors in the lungs gone. Uh, tumor right behind the eye, golf ball size tumor right in the eye gone. An inability to walk. God, that fast take care of it. Blood clots over and over again. Cancers, God take it away. I, 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 God, God is able to do anything God's ever done. Amen. 
And those are miracle days. Those are wonderful days. And I keep a little stack of cards in my office there and I write down uh, the request. And anytime someone comes to be anointed, I jot it down for the date. I put the request and then later I'll go back with an update. And many, 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 not, not all of them, but many, many, many of them have a, have a rejoice as a statement under there. Rejoicing. I'd say at least as many uh, uh, praises follow uh, those anointings as those that don't. I, I, know God didn't, I, I, I don't know God doesn't choose to heal everyone. I understand that. But I know He's able. Amen. And the anointing is simply an act of obedience. Amen. And, 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 and can I say, those are wonderful days. Some of you had your miracles and you can say, I preach, I, yeah, I had one of those. What a glorious day. A day of miracles. A day of anointing. A day of surrender. A day of faith. A day of revelation. A day of declaration. A day of defense. Great days in Peter's life. But I would submit to you, That the greatest day of Peter's life is found in our text in Luke 22. Verse 56. Jesus is in the home of the high priest being questioned. Later we'll find them spitting in his face, mocking him, slapping him, then smiting him. Peter's. The, 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 the house has been excavated and if they're accurate about the location, it's one of those places in the Holy Lands where they would say we well, Great certainty. We believe this is the very house of the high priest because of the artifacts that we found. Thus we believe these steps here are a place where Jesus himself actually stepped. And there is a court on the outside. And the way I picture it in my mind, Peter's warming himself outside. Jesus is inside. We read it in verse number 56. But a certain... A certain maid beheld him, beheld Peter, as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him. She's looking at him and said, this man was also with me. She's looking at him and she's like, I, I, I know that. I've seen that man before. Finally, she spoke up. She says, you were with him. Verse 57, he denied him saying, woman, I know him not. I don't know who that man in there is. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. If you put all these accounts, in all four Gospels, put all these accounts together, you'll find that both the first two were maidens. One of them was a maiden to the high priest. She, she was a lady and she served the high priest and in his office and so forth like that, in his duties. The second was a maid as well. He denied that at the end of verse number 58. And Peter said, man, I am not. Verse 59. And about the space of one hour, after another confidently affirmed, that other is identified in John chapter 18, verse 26, as a family member of Malchus. Peter cut Malchus's ear off in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is his brother or cousin. This is his kinsman. didn't tell us what the relationship. But this is his brother, his kinsman. He's like, no. 
He said, I saw you, man. I know you're with him. Man, I know of a truth. Uh, verse 59, and about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. He even talks like him. He's got the same accent. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And they had blindfolded him. They struck him on the face. And asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? Many other things blasphemously spake against him. While Jesus is being blasphemed. While Jesus is being spat upon and slapped and buffeted. Peter is somewhere weeping bitterly. Weeping bitterly. Because he had done the very thing he told the Lord he would never do when Jesus said to him, trying to explain his mission. He said, every one of you are going to deny me. Peter said, we're not going to deny you. He said, I'm not going to deny you. He said, I guarantee you I won't. He said, I will die before I deny you. That will never happen. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. Before tomorrow morning, by the time the cock crows the second time, you will have already denied me three times. And when Peter did, made his third denial, he said, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And all of a sudden, he heard the cock crow. And the Bible says in this passage here, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, having been there at this side, if indeed it is the place. There is a, there's an outer courtyard, if you will. And if it be true that there's an open door, an open window inside where the kangaroo court was taking place, at that moment, no doubt, when Peter, sitting by that fire, warming himself, denied the third time and heard the cock crow, immediately, I'm sure his head turned to where he knew Jesus was inside. And I just imagine in my mind's eye that one man moves his head this way and another person in the crowd moves their head this way, just enough to where you could see through the crowd. And Jesus, at that moment, turns. And they make eye contact. And Peter runs out. And he weeps bitterly. He weeps bitterly. Can I say two things, friend? Number one, Jesus did not need Peter's bitter tears. Peter needed them. Jesus knew that Peter would fail. He told him so in advance. Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Jesus knew the betrayal was going to take place. He knew he would be denied three times by Peter, though Peter said, that'll never happen. I'll die before I let that happen. Jesus didn't need Peter's tears. He had been praying for him. 
He knew that Peter would fail. He had been praying for his failure and even gave him words of encouragement. In advance of his denial, gave him words of encouragement so that he would have some hope down the road. He said, Peter, he said, you're going to deny me, but I'm praying for you. And I, I've been praying for you. And when you get through that mess and when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. He's trying to encourage Peter. Jesus did meet Peter's bitter tears. Peter needed Listen, God, listen, God's not up in heaven. Listen carefully. God's not up in heaven saying, you better be sorry. You better really, really, really be sorry. Let me see you mean it. No. God knows we're going to fail before we fail. God knew it 2,000 years ago when He hung on the cross. He knew every sin I'd ever commit. He knew every failure I'd ever have. And He said... Father, put on me, and God laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's no surprise to Jesus Christ. The only one that was surprised that evening was Peter. It wasn't Jesus. Peter said, how could I have done this? I said, I wouldn't do it. I thought I would never do it. Jesus wasn't surprised. Jesus didn't need Peter to grovel. Jesus didn't need Peter to weep. Peter needed to weep. Peter needed his tears. Peter needed to humble himself. Peter needed him to, to admit himself, swallow his own pride and say, I was wrong and you were right. All the great things we read about Peter in the book of Acts. 3,000 saved the day of Pentecost. 5,000 saved two chapters later. In chapter 4. Dorcas raised from the dead. The lame man. At the gate beautiful. Raised to walk again. And over and again. Miracle after miracle after. None of it. None of it. None of it. Would have happened. If Peter hadn't come. To a place of contrition. And brokenness. And humility. In Luke 22. I submit to you. The greatest day of Peter's life. Was not his day of faith. Day of surrender. Day of revelation. Declaration. Defense. Or all the many days of miracles and harvests. The greatest day. Was his day of brokenness. You see. Number one, Jesus did not need Peter's bitter tears. Peter needed them. Number two, we have all denied him. But we have not all gone out and wept bitterly. Christianity today, it is in vogue in Christianity. It's in style. To say grace means we accept anything and anyone and everything. And we're not so narrow-minded as to make people uncomfortable. We welcome everyone. Come as you are. Listen to me, my dear friend. A broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. But a proud heart He will. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. When a man is unwilling to humble himself and acknowledge his sin before God, and in brokenness and contrition come and say, God, I, you're right and I'm wrong and I need forgiveness. 
that man will meet with resistance because the Bible said God resisted the proud and he giveth grace to the humble. I have illustrated this to you time and time again as I close the message in the Christian life. This is a Christian life. Two steps forward. One step back. Two, three steps forward. Two steps back. Another step forward. Another step back. Some of you are saying, yep, that's me. Now this is what I submit to you. The greatest days of your Christian life are not these days. The greatest days of your Christian life are these days. When you stop and you say, I'm going the wrong direction. I'm going back on my commitments. And you do what Peter did. And you fall on your face. And you say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. And he says, a just man falleth seven times. But he riseth up again. He gets up. The greatest day of Peter's life was the day he got up. When he said, I'm broken before you. I'm wrong. Forgive me. And you know what? He didn't think himself worthy to be used again, did he? He got right. But he didn't think himself worthy to be used again. Do you know that 50 days later, Pentecost comes 50 days after the Passover. 50 days later, they've been praying for the power of God. Peter's in that group. And the Lord said, we need somebody to preach a message. Power is going to come down. Peter, won't you preach? And 50 days after he denied Christ, looked him in the eye and went out and wept bitterly. Forgive my pride. Oh, forgive me. 50 days later, God said, all right, Peter, preach the word. Peter stood up and preached. 3,000 people got saved. Amen. Two chapters later, preaching again, 5,000 more got saved. Amen! All the miracles of Acts God used Peter to do would never have been possible were it not for his day of brokenness. Would you bow your heads, please?